Welcome to Digging the Dharma, where we dig into the Buddhist Dharma and explore ways of bringing these 2,500-year-old teachings into our lives. I'm Doug Smith of Doug's Dharma on YouTube and the Online Dharma Institute. And I'm John Aaron, teacher at New York Insight Meditation Center and Space to Meditate, and an MBSR teacher and trainer. Greetings, Doug. Good to see you. Great to see you, John. How are you? How are you doing? I'm good. I'm back from a month-long retreat. and uh, Yeah, that'll be confusing to a lot of our, our listeners, because right. they'll think, well, but I just heard you. Right, it's true, yeah, but uh, there's been a gap here. We've got a yep. little few to catch up on. and yep. uh, But yeah, I was, I was up in, uh, at the Forest Refuge, which is part of the Insight Meditation Society. It's a separate facility for more experienced meditators. Often when you go to the forest refuge, it's a kind of people may go for two weeks or three weeks, they come and they go and you and you're not with a set group of people. But this was uh, a special retreat of four weeks with uh, Ajahn Suchito, who is has been a, a monk in the sort of Ajahn Chah lineage from the Thai forest tradition. Uh, whatever that is, as he says. Um, and he's been a monk since the mid seventies and, uh, he's now in his, now in his mid seventies, I'd say. So he, he's been a monk for quite a while. Uh, and he is a brilliant teacher and, and, uh, just all heart. And the wonderful thing is that you're with the same group of people then for 30 days, which in itself is, uh, an experience. How many people were there? Uh, there it's small. Well, the forest refuge itself is small, so there are only about there were thirty of us more or less there. That's not not bad. Yeah, yeah it's good. it's yeah. it's the right size, and and um, <clears throat> which is only the forest refuge only has a capacity for I think thirty two people, but it's a purpose built meditation center. So, and it is one of the quietest places I've ever been, and so you know I come back to New York, and it's like uh, uh oh. <laughs> But, um, yeah, I just did some recent videos where I actually talked about the Buddha's attitude on, on noise and, you know, how he, and in fact, in various, various ways, that's one of the things that comes back to me again and again in the early suttas is, is that that was one of his sort of, insofar as a Buddha has a peeve, that was one of his Really? <laughs> his and of course, peeves. well, you know, they, they set up their monasteries near, they had to set them up near cities. Uh, but outside the city, right. so that they could. Uh, yeah. But, but uh, on the other hand, there were no cars, there were no planes, yep. you know. So, uh, 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 and somebody asked during the retreat, "Well, what would the Buddha think of the forest refuge?" You know, and you know, and, you and like Ajahn thought, "Well, yeah, he'd probably enjoy it." You know, <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> and uh, it, was, it was a funny question, actually. Um, but the other thing that's interesting about about the forest refuge, and we should actually do a podcast about this maybe next year, is that because it's always in silence, you get to the retreat, and we had maybe once you're in the center, you're quiet. And so when we arrived, because of COVID situations, we all had to be tested, and we sort of they timed our arrivals, and they would go to a separate room, and so we could sort of greet people there. But then once you go in the center, you've basically started the retreat. And so you don't really, and on this particular retreat, I only knew one person personally. I mean, 
and 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 she unfortunately within three days tested positive for COVID and had to leave, which is really sad. But um, the rest of us, you know, there were there were some colleagues from the teaching world that I I vaguely knew, and 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 then so the only identification you have is on your coffee mug, maybe where you put your name. Although some people just put their initials. So it's a real act of letting go of any sort of identity. Mm. It's an act of non-becoming. And that in itself is an amazing part of retreat in this case, right? Because, you know, people may know who I am, who knows, but I don't really care. I wasn't, you know, nobody's, you're, you're, you're sort of guarding the sense door, so you're not looking at anybody directly for the most part. And, and you have that freedom of not being someone. And so this, of course, is a topic for an, a podcast of bhava, becoming. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or abhava, not becoming, you know. And, and, sure. And uh, which, of course, is in many ways a taste of awakening, right? Because you're not becoming. And, um, and how much freedom there is in that. And now here I am back, you know, not even 24 hours, and I'm <laughs> recording a podcast, so I'm suddenly becoming, right? And, and becoming yeah, yeah. a podcast. Well, can you do it without becoming, or do you have to become to do a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good question. <laughs> Let me try that. Uh, who am I again? <laughs> so, <laughs> Does it matter? <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, and, and Suchito is... And the other thing about a monastic retreat, and in that tradition, actually any in the Theravada tradition, the Theravada monks, they don't eat after noon. And so we're following their schedule. And there were three or four monks with him. So you're eating one meal a day. Well, we had breakfast. Breakfast mm -hmm. we had at 6.30, and then we had lunch at like 11.15. <laughs> mm -hmm. And that was the big meal. And then, you know, right. late in the day you would have a little snack, but barely anything um you know because they they would normally go out on alms rounds and you don't do that more than once a day yeah um and so it's getting used to that and we started our day at five in the morning with a puja and meditation and then ended it with a puja and meditation by around nine and uh in the evening so they were they were long days and and uh it's hard but you know it's it's uh it's also, a, you know, there's at some point there's a lot of relaxation in it as well, or a lot of ease. Um, people, of course, who have been on retreat, our listeners who may have been on retreat, know that you go there and you think, oh, it's going to be so quiet, which it is. But then your mind gets really loud. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and you end up with a lot of, a lot of chatter that needed to come out, you know, and it's from that that you start to, you know, kind of look closely at, 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 at you know, at the karmic seeds that are suddenly erupting or, or, you know, the causes and conditions that are creating certain thought patterns and habit patterns. And it's all there right in front of you and you can't escape it. Yeah. And yeah. so that's the challenge. And, and yet that's yeah. why we do it. You know, and it's that's really, the opportunity. Yeah it's, so, it's, yeah, it's really important. So, yeah. So it was. It was. Uh, I will say that 
when I lead retreats, even when I lead daylongs, I, I tell people, you know, don't talk about the retreat uh, for a while. <laughs> so I've just blown mm. my own instruction. <laughs> um, you know, mainly because because it takes a while to actually process. Yeah. And, and you don't, you want to kind of stay within the retreat uh, even though you've left the center. Mm-hmm. And the moment you sort of talk about it, it changes your relationship to the experience, at least momentarily. I think I had enough sure. experience, though, so I'm not too worried about it. But it's, you know, you asked. <laughs> so here, no, I mean, yeah. it, it, yeah. it is interesting, and I'm yeah. sure it's interesting to to our listeners as yeah. well about, yeah. you know, what it's like to be on one of these. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, I haven't had many experiences myself on, I mean, really none on very lengthy retreats like yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, so, no, it's something that, that uh, I can see would be very, very Yes, I keep Beneficial. giving you ribbing about that, as I recall. No, I know, I know. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you should rib me, rib me. Yeah, um, but uh, yeah, and you know, it's it's for anybody who's listening who hasn't been on retreat or has questions about retreat, feel free to you know write us or write me at least, <laughs> uh, because it's it's you know it's it's an important part of of our practice and and development as practitioners and and then the question is how do you bring the retreat back to your life um and and you know what is gained and even in an mbsr class a mindfulness-based stress reduction class where part of that curriculum is a full day of practice which for most of the people in those classes is the first time they've had that level of intensity of practice for a whole day and just mm-hmm sacrificing your cell phone for a, a eight hours, not sacrificing, but turning it off and not looking at it, you know, for a lot of people is a real liberation in itself. And often they don't want it back. One of the interesting things for me on retreat is that they, they offer to take your phone, right? But for me, it's actually a practice to have my phone because a, I use it for an alarm. Uh, and, I never turned it on and it's like the temptation is there, right? So working with that, that part of the mind. And at this point, it's not a big deal for me, but, but, uh, it, it is a challenge, you know, for a lot of people, you know, to have it there and not, not be not drawn to it. it. Yeah. 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 So watch. you just keep it on airplane mode or something or what? Yeah. 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 That makes sense. Uh, or I'll turn it off and turn it on at night when I need the alarm. Yeah, sure. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, we have uh, a few things we were going to do, right? We were going to recommend some books. Yeah, we can recommend some books. Uh, and then, and we were also going to talk about coffee and <clears throat> a little bit mm-hmm. and our need for coffee. <laughs> That's right. They, did, they, did they give you coffee on these retreats? You I, can bring I, I your own. They do. You and, can bring uh, your own coffee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They Interesting. They, there's always hot water available. So a lot so of you have to bring like like ground coffee with you or something. Or yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And so I brought two pounds, which lasted me the the, the four weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I also bring my own press pot, but they have like drip things there. And and it's always an interesting thing in the morning, like four in the morning, or, or I would be four fifteen in the morning for me. I would I would go and like okay, who's who else is there making the coffee thing? It's much easier at the Forest Refuge because there's so there are relatively few people. And at the retreat center itself, at, at, at the big center, 
I think it's a madhouse in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> so, and yeah, so coffee's not an issue, but they don't serve it. You just have to bring your own. I mean, they don't have it available. You have to bring your own. Do they have a place for a mocha pot on the? On a uh, well, they have a stove for yogis. Yeah, you could you could do that. I, I didn't bring my mocha pot though. Yeah, I just okay. brought a. I have a camping <laughs> French press that I use. Yeah, yeah, sure. Works yeah, fine. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> ah, coffee. But yeah, so you know, friends, um, we we this will be our I think forty fourth episode, like and we started. Did we start in January or December last year? I can't remember, but. We started, I mean, we've only been doing this about a year. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know, we have a you know relatively, I think, dedicated group of folks who, who, who listen, some of whom come from your work, uh, your, your video, your video, some of whom probably come from my uh, work. Um, but we have... We would really love it when people sign up to be members. We, we in fact, need people to become members because... Uh, yeah, it helps. It um, helps. We do have expenses. We, you know, yep. we are doing this basically on the basis of generosity. Uh, we're offering it freely, and yet we have expenses, and you know, not counting our time, we just have direct expenses, and, and besides which, we really like hearing from people. Yep. Um, so I just want to... If every one of our listeners became a member, that would be great, you know, <laughs> put, certainly put more work on ourselves because we've offered certain benefits for levels of membership, but we'd be happy to do that. Um, and we have to have, we should have our, we're going to have our members on yeah, next pretty month. soon. I think. Yeah. We'll yeah. We'll try to do that. For ask, ask us anything questions. Yep. Um, you know, we want to encourage you to go to our website, diginthedharma.com and, um, Check it out. Check it out. Please leave us comments. You know, even if you hate something, we want to know that. Or if you really violently disagree with us, we love love that. In fact, I think our last podcast was about a little controversy over our logo. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I, we haven't haven't gotten any feedback on that. Um, so, yeah, whatever, whatever. Whatever you have to say, we would love to, to hear from you. And, and you need to go to the website to do that. You can't do it from your own, you know, wherever you get your podcast, you, you're not going to be able to leave a comment there, I don't think. Mm-hmm. You can, I don't think so, You no. can rate it, but you can't comment. Yeah, you can comment on the whole show, right? you know, but yeah. not on an individual right. episode. Right, right, yeah. right. Yeah, so, and the reason we're talking about coffee is because that's the, <laughs> the, 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 fun, the funding method is buy me a coffee <laughs> buy me a coffee yeah and there's two ways of doing that there's the the sort of one time right and then there's the membership yeah and we have quite a few people who've done it one time and which is um, very nice yeah. very sweet and we appreciate all of those who have and and uh and we just would love it if more of you did and particularly if more of you became members um so we can keep this keep this going yep and then we were going to just offer some book suggestions i think yeah, yeah. I mean, books is always, and a lot of people who uh, comment on my videos ask for book recommendations uh, of one kind or another. It's one of the most common recommenda- uh, uh, questions or requests that I get on videos is, you know, what books should I read? What books should I start with? Sure. If, you know, a lot of people are new to Buddhism or new to the practice. I was just before the podcast talking to John about the fact that uh, I don't really have many books right now they're they're off being clean still <laughs> after a house fire right uh you know my lost uh 
quite I'm a sure few. You lost. Um, yeah, because unfortunately, fire and books don't go well together. Uh, <laughs> they don't really love each other. Um, but a, a bunch of them were, I think, able to be saved. Uh, when we move back to the house, we'll get you know a bunch of stuff that has been cleaned that's been in storage since then, ah. and I'll get to see whether you know how much and you know to what extent they've been able right. to recover what I had. In the Is there room. a special so, technique they use? I really don't know. Um, they they claim that they take you know that they uh, take the smell out of the books. I mean, the, the smell is the big thing. Right. Uh, obviously, cleaning them, they can do what they can, but not you know, there's not a whole lot they can do to, you know, to clean paper, um, you know, the outsides anyway. Right, sure. But I don't really care about right. the spine or, you know, the, yeah. the cover of the book. It's just... The, As I recall, the, you have the, the complete, you have the complete Bhikkhu Bodhi translations. I had to rebuy those. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I rebought okay. a few things that I needed in the interim. Right. You know, yeah, well, it's... With the, you know, I mean, the problem is that some of these things are out of print now, but mm. you know, what can you do? Uh, I'll probably have to ask around for some of them if I need them. <laughs> right. Yeah. So you first. <laughs> well, or at least I mean, we'll I alternate think, here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's all. I mean, we can yeah. alternate. I mean, yeah. I think it really. You know, my my uh, recommendation would be to, to to sort of consider what it is you're looking for. Sure. Uh, I mean, I think a lot of people are looking for sort of introductory stuff about Buddhism, about how just you know sort of begin the path or. And I don't, uh, not knowing what percentage of our audience wants what, I would sort of start with, I'll start with those. I mean, a couple, uh, the way that I started when I was um, back actually in, in university uh, uh, was with a very famous book by Walpola Rahula called What the Buddha Taught. Mm. And uh, I think it's a wonderful sort of introduction to the Buddha Dharma uh, by a, a very a prominent monk, monastic from yeah. Sri Lanka, several decades ago sure. uh some people you know it's it's more about theravada than it is about sort of early buddhism mm -hmm. although he frames it as a sort of a you know the, what the buddha himself taught and so it's sort of right. you, know, you would know from the, you would think from the title but it's it's very approachable uh, very readable and um i think it's a it's a wonderful wonderful place to start yeah so that would be that would be my first uh, well so if, if we're going to start with where to start then there yeah they're probably two or the place where I started, I believe, was Thich Nhat Hanh's Miracle of Mindfulness. Oh, that's a great one, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, which is, I think, one of his first books. And then uh, Bhante Gunaratana's uh, two books. One is uh, Mindfulness in Plain English, mm -hmm. which is a yep. best, was a bestseller when it came out. And the other is Eight Mindful Steps to Happiness. Um, oh, yes, yes. Uh, which is a great book. Those, those three books will get you started really beautifully um but and <laughs> those are sort of more practice oriented i would yeah. say than the than the rahula book rahula is more uh, yeah, about sure. the, the dharma yeah um so just just to yeah i mean it brings too. in the dharma because you know Bhikkhu sure Bodhi, i mean babante gunaratan is also a sri lankan monk um mm -hmm. this book that uh we received when we arrived on this retreat which ajahn suchito is quite prolific uh, as a writer himself, uh, and a really wonderful writer, I must say. But he he gave us a book which is called Breathing Like a Buddha. And it's a book which kind of combines practices from the two major mindfulness teachings, the Satipatthana Sutta, the Four Foundations of Mindfulness, and the Anapanasati Sutta of Mindfulness of Breathing, In and Out. 
but he presents it in just a beautiful way. One of the, and one of the participants in the retreat when we were doing a closing circle said, this is like a book that all psychologists should read or all therapists should read, mm-hmm. you know, cause he really goes into how our mind processes from a Buddhist perspective. And, and, you know, uh, so that book is available at no cost. And, and actually you can download it as a PDF. And when you go to our website, there will be a link to that for this, if you go to this episode on the website. Um, so we can, we can link to that uh, and you can, you can download it, but it's a really, it's short. It's like 110 pages, but it's, it's just beautifully presented. And uh, highly recommend. We'll leave that. links, or at least uh, uh, leave a list in our yeah. website of yeah. all the books that we, yeah. we mentioned. Definitely a link for that one. Uh, yeah, because it's it's because you know he's a monastic, and and a lot of monastics write books, and it's not like they the money that's uh, it's interesting. I know that I think Biku Analio's deal with at least one of the publishers is that they can sell it for you know a couple of years. And if the, you know, whatever money is, goes to the author, he, it goes to a fund that supports his work. But then after two years, it's, it becomes freely available online. <laughs> so it's, yeah. you know, that's, uh, but in case of Ajahn Suchido, all of his books are published by the monastery actually, and uh, freely available. So, Wonderful. Yeah. So those are some recommendations for um, both. I mean, regardless of your level of practice, there's always something mm-hmm. to be gained from that. Yeah, I would say on my side, another another intro book that I really like, it's sort of scholarly intro book, is by Rupert Gethin called uh, The Foundations of Buddhism. Mm. Um, Rupert Gethin is probably one of the leading scholars, if not the leading scholar of sort of, I would say, roughly speaking, the period of early Buddhism in the academy and academic Buddhism. Mm. Although I think he's sort of w- more well known for his Abhidharma work, but still, I mean, his his stuff on early Buddhism is great, and he's he's a wonderful writer. Um, so that that one is also highly highly recommended. I think if you're talking about mindfulness uh, in general, then I would have to recommend Analyo's book on mindfulness, the Satipatthana, the direct path to realization. Right. I would probably recommend the latest of those books, which is much more practical oriented as well. Well, I mean, they're both, both yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess it depends. Yeah. It depends on your interest. The right. practical. St- you're right. the The latest book is is very practice oriented. His first book was his PhD, right. basically his dissertation. Although it's extremely readable, but it is dense. Yeah, um, but it's, it's dense. got a huge amount of information. Yeah. And half of that so book if is, you really is footnotes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Yeah, and and so what he does is. I mean, what he does basically in his book on Satipatthana, the first one, is he sort of goes through the whole sutta, you know, almost line by line, and sort of talks about how it each of those little parts of the passage relates to the the Dharma and relates to the wider picture and brings in all of the other things right. that the Buddha mentioned. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, you can just spend uh, you know months yeah. sort of going through that book and and learning a whole lot about yeah. the Dharma just through that one sutta. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that I think is also now available for free online. Yes, it is. Um, so to yeah, sort of dig for it, but it is it is available. Yeah, I think I can find a link to that. If I can, I'll leave it on the website Great. as well. Now, on a very different front, and this is a book that I I was given by the author um, before it was even published, but now it's out, or before it was even available. And this is a later teaching, 
but I was, uh, and this is the Vasubandhu, a book about Vasubandhu's um, Yogacara, and it's called Vasubandhu's Three Natures by Ben Connolly, who's a Zen teacher in Minneapolis. He wrote he wrote two books on these teachings. One is called Inside Vasubandhu's Yogacara, which is about a specific teaching, and this Three Natures is a about another teaching. And it actually, uh, Thich uh, also wrote a major book on this teaching called uh, Understanding Our Mind, which was, I believe, Thich Nhat Hanh's doctoral thesis. Um, oh, really? So cool. I just found Ben's book so humanizing of this teaching, which can be seen as quite esoteric. It's a beautiful teaching. It's just, you know, it's, it's, it's quite poetic in many ways. The Yogacara teachings were kind of bridging the early teachings in the Mahayana teaching. It sort of was a segue into the Mahayana and then became a core teaching of Mahayana practices. But what Ben has done is he's really kind of every chapter, he relates some something very personally about his own life and his own practice and, and how he brought these teachings into it. And I found it both moving and and a great route to understanding non-self, understanding emptiness on both, you know, on, on <laughs> from both sides, from both the early teachings and the later teachings. And, and Vasubandhu was, I need to read more about him, but he seemed like a fascinating character. He wrote most of, one of the most important books on the Abhidhamma. You know, this, I mean, he was writing in, I think the fourth century. Yeah, highly recommend. Yeah, very big figure, very big figure in Mahayana Buddhism. Yeah, um, my, since most of my uh, focus is on early stuff, I yeah. really. But I remember learning about him when I was in, at university in graduate school. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say another another um, book that I really liked is one that sort of, in a way, brought me back to Buddhism uh, several years ago, or at least helped bring me back to, Buddh- to Buddhism. Was Stephen Batchelor's uh, Confession of a Buddhist Atheist, mm. which is sort of his memoir yeah. uh, of his life as a Tibetan uh, practitioner. He was a Tibetan uh, monastic, I guess. And then he was a Zen monastic for Korean, a while in, in the Korean, Korean yeah. Zen school. Yeah, and then he went back to the um, early... Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then he sort of left. He, he he decided to leave both of those and um, and went back to, yeah, his his interest more in the early material you know, he's sort of the leading person nowadays in secular Buddhism. Um, I, you know, some of his stuff I, I like, some of his stuff I don't necessarily agree with, but he is, he's a wonderful writer. He's just a wonderful yeah, writer. And storyteller. Yes. And storyteller. Yeah. And uh, that book in particular, I think, is just wonderful in sort of uh, bringing a lot of his ways of interrelating the different parts of Buddhism together. Yeah. You know, the yeah. Tibetan school, the Zen yeah. school. Uh, the Theravada, insofar as you know, early mm-hmm. Buddhism comes up. Um, so that's another one that I would yeah. definitely recommend. Great. One last one that I only discovered this morning <laughs> on the coffee table, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I barely looked at it. Uh, and it must have just come out. Speaking of Analio, he wrote a book on the first Buddhist women. Yeah, I just saw that. Yeah, yeah. and that looks excellent. Um, it does. So that's uh, so we'll put the link into that uh, the, the the information on that. Um, yeah, he's been such a supporter of the Buddhist the, the women monastics. Yeah, they're becoming more women monastics. I mean, he's yeah. he's really pushed for the inclusion of women in yeah. the monastic order. Yeah. So so yeah. Okay. 
I think great to talk we with did you pretty again. well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So friends, books are, we look forward yeah. to hearing from you. And we do, uh, we do. We always love it. And uh, hope you can uh, spring us some coffee. Until next time. Yeah, until next one. All Thanks right. so much, John. Take care. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, consider leaving a review on your local podcast directory. It would help us out a lot. You can check John out at johnaaron.net and Doug at Doug Starma on YouTube and his Patreon page linked in the notes. You've been listening to Dig in the Dharma with Doug Smith and John Aaron. Thank you.